How many of you work in a place that has either an IT person or an IT department or anything like that? Um, some of you do. You know, many organizations have that at this point. I call our IT department uh, frequently. Uh, and usually they have the same question in reply every time I call them. Uh, anyone know what that question is? Yeah, did you restart the computer? And, and, I, and the reality is, is that more often than not, that will fix the problem is by restarting the computer. And I always think to myself, if more often than not, all we need to do is restart the computer, then why do we need an IT department? And all of you IT people are out there looking at me and saying, did you think of restarting the computer? Well played, IT. Well played. Well, we're in the middle of, actually, we just started a series last week that we're calling Reset. And what we are talking about is the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And what we need to understand is that we live in a world where wear and tear, time and use, problems and circumstances cause moments where sometimes there needs to be a reset. There are times when we need to recalibrate and refocus on God. But this isn't something new. This is something that's happened from the very beginning. It's something that we see in the book of Genesis. God creates, and what God creates is good. But through humanity and sin and the fall, we enter into chaos. And God decides to step into our chaos and provide a reset. And what we'll see in the book of Genesis is these examples of these little resets over and over. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see these little resets over and over that point to the ultimate reset, the reset that is found in Jesus. Now, Genesis, Genesis is an interesting book, right? Uh, Genesis is a little bit different than some of the other books. It's a little bit different from the book that we just studied, uh, the book of Mark. And one of the reasons that it's different is that when you look at Mark, what does Mark have? It ha he had eyewitness accounts. He had people that actually went through life with Jesus, that actually saw these events, that he could pull on these eyewitness accounts. We don't really have eyewitness accounts from when Genesis was written. Sort of. Sort of. I've been to every state on the East Coast. I've been to Florida, I've been to Georgia, uh, I've been to North Carolina, I've been up to Vermont, I've even been all the way up to Maine, the, the northernmost point of the East Coast. Now, if you were to ask me about Maine, if you were to say, what did you like about Maine? What did you do there? What are some of the sites there? I would have to look at you and say, I don't know. I don't know. And if you're like, I don't understand, you've been to Maine. I have, I've been to Maine. I've been to Maine. Well, isn't there anything there that you can point to that you really like? I, I have no clue. Because I went to Maine when I was a baby. <laughs> I went to Maine when I was a baby. The only reason I know I went to Maine, the only reason I have any understanding of that knowledge is because my dad revealed it to me. Genesis, especially the beginning of Genesis, what we get is the infancy of humanity. And what we know about that infancy is revealed to us by our Heavenly Father in His Word. And we need to trust what He is sharing to us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into that. And today we're going to learn a little bit 
about ourselves and a little bit about our Heavenly Father and our God that we worship. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles in the seat racks here in Sowerton. We have them in the back of the room in Quakertown. If you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth. And so we want you to have access to a Bible, so take it home. If you're using one of our Bibles in the church campuses that we have, you can turn to page one. Page one. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In this passage... In this passage, we get a teaching that is taught in the church that is known by the words imago Dei. Imago Dei is just a Latin phrase that refers back to that image of God, that humanity was created in the image of God. Now, before we talk about what that means, I want to talk about what that doesn't mean. Allow me a moment to just go off on a little bit of a tangent. Here's what that does not mean. We are created in the image of God. God does not exist in the image of humanity. It's a little bit of semantics there. We are created in the image of God. God does not exist in our image. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes in our culture, what we like to do is we like to look at humanity, we like to look at characteristics of ourselves, and we like to pick and choose what we like and assign or project it to God and create an image of God that we seem to be comfortable with. But we don't get to decide who God is. God is who he is. And so he does not exist in our image. We exist because we were made in the image of God. Little semantic there that I'd like to just point out. God reveals himself in the Bible, and it is through that that we learn of his characteristics and his attributes. And he reveals himself through his creation of humanity as well. But God was never meant to be measured in our image because we are created into his image not vice versa. So what does it mean then to be created in that image of God? What does it mean to live out a life of Imago Dei? Well, our moral, spiritual, and intellectual essence were formed in the image of God. And because of this, humanity is completely unique from all other creation. We understand that there are qualities of God that are manifested in humanity And there are moral implications to that truth. If we understand the concept of being made in the image of God, if we understand this concept of Imago Dei, then what ends up happening is that there are moral implications to that. For instance, if we understand that, then what we understand is a deeper understanding of God's command to love one another. We cannot love God, we cannot claim to love God, and not love one another. First of all, God is love, and if we are created in his image, we have been given the capacity to love, to deny that aspect of ourselves, to deny an aspect of God, but also the ones who are, we are called to love are also created in his image. 
When we choose not to love one another, we choose to reject attributes and aspects of God. In addition to that, in addition to that, we choose to turn away from an attribute of God that is extremely important that we actually read about in those verses that we just read in chapter 1. If we are created in God's image, one of the things that we need to understand is a bit about God's nature. And what we need to understand is this. God exists in community. He exists in community. Well, how do we know this? How do we know that God exists in community? Well, because it says so in the Bible. There are actually verses in the Bible that talk to us not just about the beginnings of our creation, but they talk to us about God's nature even before creation began. For instance, just to kind of explain a little bit of what that might look like, just so you know, just in case you were wondering, your parents had a life before you were born. Not afterwards, but before, <laughs> before they did. And the truth of the matter is, is that I know stuff about my dad. I know that my dad was kicked out of the New York City public school system in third grade because he was dancing on the teacher's desk and when the teacher reprimanded him, he hit her in the face. Shame on my dad. He was then sent to Catholic school. He was not about to hit any of those nuns. The only reason I know that is because my dad told me. He revealed it to me. God reveals truth about himself in his word. And that's where we get the, uh, the truths that we need to talk about today. And one of the truths that we need to talk about today is the truth that we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Did you see a little bit of difference in verses 26 and verses 27? In verses 26 and 27, we get a little bit of difference. In verse 26, we say, we hear these us and our. Then we hear in verse 27, him and his. What, what was going on there? Was there a problem with autocorrect when this was being written? No, what we get is the first glim glimpses in the Bible of the Trinity, that God exists as one God, but in three persons. God exists as one God, but in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a foundational truth. It is a foundational truth to all that we believe. It's one of those absolute truths. God exists in perfect community throughout eternity. And oftentimes we try to, to explain it, but it, we're, we're not quite sure how that plays out. And so we, we do different kind of analogies. Like some churches, they, someone might come out and they're like, it's like an egg. You know, an egg has a shell and it has a yolk and it has the white stuff, which I don't actually know the name of it. But it's one egg, right? That's a good illustration, but it, if you keep picking it apart, it will fall apart and it's just not completely adequate. Or, or maybe some people will say, it's like water. It's all water, but it has three different forms. It has a vapor form and it has a liquid form and it has a solid form and ice. Again, a good attempt, but it, it kind of falls apart. Even, even St. Patrick's, St. Patrick, okay? Do you understand why McDonald's sells shamrock shakes? Do you, do you understand why? Aside from the fact that they're delicious. 
because St. Patrick used the shamrock to illustrate the Trinity. The shamrock is a leaf that is made up of three leaves, but it's just one leaf. And that's what St. Patrick used when he was a missionary to Ireland to illustrate the Trinity. Again, great illustration, but incomplete, falls apart. The reason it falls apart is because we cannot fully grasp the concept of a Trinity. We cannot fully grasp the concept of a triune God in our human state. That God exists as one person, as one God, but in three persons. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what usually happens is, is that when the Trinity comes up, we acknowledge that it's true, but oftentimes we quickly turn away because we don't want to kind of get caught up in trying to say, like, I don't really know how to fully explain it. It's okay. Just point to God's word and point to what we do know and how he reveals himself in his word. And what we do know about the Trinity is this, that God exists in perfect community. Perfect community. Let's take a couple, let's look at a couple of verses that kind of talk about some of that. Charles talked about some of it last week when he ended the message. He ended the message by going to John chapter 1. That's page 723 in the Calvary Bibles. John chapter 1 starts off similar to the book of Genesis. It says, in the beginning, listen to the words of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word that John is referring to is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In this, what we read is that all of creation is made through the Word, through the Son. That there was no beginning to the Son. He exists in that eternal community of who God is. If we go further, we go into John chapter 17, which is uh, page 738. (laughs) In John chapter 17, uh, verse 3, we read, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Again, this eternal nature of the Son is being proclaimed in these verses. This eternal nature of community being proclaimed in these verses. And not only it is a perfect community that has existed Throughout eternity, it also is a perfect community of love. Again, in verse 24 of the same chapter, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Again, God reveals to us stuff that we could not possibly know apart from him. He reveals that God exists in a perfect community of love. And this is the beauty of the Trinity. And I think it is important to point out that I didn't say that God exists in a perfect community. God exists in perfect community. Community is an attribute, an aspect of God. It is a part of his nature. Community isn't just a nice thing to aspire to. It's an attribute of God that we are called to. We are called to live out this attribute of God, this part of his nature. But that shouldn't be hard to do, right? I mean, remember, we are made in God's image, Imago Dei. 
So that shouldn't be hard. We should be able to live out life and community just like God does. Not really. Not really. And we'll go into this in, as we go along in Genesis. But the reason that we struggle with that is because of sin. Because of the fall of humanity. You see, while God exists in perfect community, we exist in broken community. While God exists in perfect community, we exist in broken community. And that brokenness began with our rejection of God. And so that relationship was, separation, was separated because of our rejection of God, because of our sin, and because of that, that impacts how we live life in community. And so we exist in broken community. Look at Genesis chapter 6, just a short, short way from the verses that we read earlier, page 4 in your church Bibles here, but 6 verse 5, it says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This sinful nature of us, this, this evil that is inherently in our hearts causes community to break. It causes community to break and we see that in our lives, and we see that in an early age. We see that, that tendency to, to cause harm to others, that, that tendency to break community, we even see that at a young age. Let me, let, me, let me kind of paint a picture for you. When kids are really little, like three toddlers and all that, what happens? You take them to a playground, right? And all of a sudden, when you're driving them home, they're talking to you about all of their friends. They've never met these people before. They'll never see them again. They don't even know their names. But they're their friends. There's this innocence almost as a young child to just live life in community and to accept those around us as members of our community. It's, it's, it's kind of that glimpse into that image of God. But that three-year-old also has a sinful nature. I've raised five. There's no such thing as terrible twos. It's the three-year-olds. And that gets developed. And as that child gets older, that sinful nature has more opportunity to be expressed. It doesn't take much time from that three-year-old to turn into a middle school sixth grader, right? And I don't have to remind you of middle school to remind you that there's a lot of brokenness in community in middle school. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking about the reality that we have an incredible ability to harm and damage community. And what I realized as I was thinking about it, I was starting to process just what it was like in middle school, and I realized it's just like, I have an incredible ability to harm others. I have an incredible ability to break community. And I was thinking back to sixth grade and I was remembering an example of that that still to this day brings me sorrow. I remember being in sixth grade one day and there was this one, one person in sixth grade, this one other student who was a bit of a bully, not like a major bully, but a little bit of a bully. 
And I remember being at lunch one time and, and we're seated at those rectangular tables, you know, the kind that also have a bench attached to it and then you can fold it up and move it away and clean the, the, the floor. And so we're seated at those tables. And I remember this person being at that table and, 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 and many of the classmates of mine at that table and I remember that this person did something to get me angry. I don't remember what it was. All I remember is my reaction. To this day, I remember the reaction. This person did something to make me angry. They did something that hurt me and I just looked at them and I was so angry and I looked at them and I just was quietly, I looked at them and I was like, I hate you. And, 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 and there was an awkward pause and everyone got silent and I just got angrier and I got angrier and then they got a little bit louder and I was like, I hate you. And I didn't stop there. I started to point to each of one of my classmates. And I was like, it's not just me. He hates you. And she hates you. And he hates you. And I got all the way around till I was looking at this person right in the face. And I froze. And I tell you that as a sixth grader, I realized in that moment what I had just done because I looked for the first time in his eyes. And there was so much pain in them. Because he believed everything that I was saying. And in that moment, I wanted to say, I didn't mean it. I wanted to say, I know I, that's not true. I wanted to take back all of those words and just shove them back into my mouth. But the reality is that I couldn't. The damage was done. And I can tell you that, yes, actually, we went on through school, through middle school and high school, and we actually developed a little bit of a friendship through that. But even in his adult years, he actually remembered that and the pain that it caused him. I have an incredible ability to hurt others. I have an incredible ability to break community. I don't enjoy it. It brings me sadness when I realize that I've hurt someone. It brings me sadness when even though my intentions are good, the impact is negative. It brings me great sorrow when I realize that that's happened. But because of my sinful nature, I have an incredible ability to break community. And if you're anything like me, so do you. If you're anything like me, so do you. Humanity has an incredible ability to hurt other people, an incredible ability to break community. And you don't have, have to look far to realize that. Our news is saturated. It's saturated with brokenness. It's saturated with examples of the reality that we exist in a broken community. And in, midst, in the midst of all of that destruction, we also exist in a society that champions loving and peace and all of these efforts. But if we rely on ourselves, if we rely on our own abilities to do this love, to accomplish this peace, it will fail because we are broken people living in a broken world. And if we're just going to rely on our own efforts, we can only go so far. We can only go so far. We exist in a broken community because we are broken people. So what do we do? What do we do with that? How does this get fixed? It can only get fixed if God steps in and hits the reset button. It can only get fixed when God steps in and provides a reset. 
You see, God exists in perfect community, in perfect community. However, because of sin, we exist in a broken community. There was a need for a reset. And so God stepped into our broken community to restore us to his perfect community. God stepped into our broken community to restore us to his perfect community. Let's look at 1 Peter, page 828 in the Bibles in uh, Quakertown and Sowerton. 1 Peter chapter 1, <coughs> starting at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. God's love is so powerful, so powerful that he refused to leave us in that state of broken community. And he steps into our broken community to restore us to his perfect community. But did you notice verse 20? Did you notice what was going on there? Again, we are revealed and attribute something of God that occurs before we even existed, before creation. This expression of love was not a spur-of-the-moment reaction. It was a deliberate choice. I'm choosing to say bless you. <laughs> God chose the Son from before time began. From before time began. And he knew the cost of redeeming us. In fact, he knew the cost of creating us. Sometimes people ask me, they say, well, if God knew we were going to sin, if God knew that we were going to reject him, why give us that ability? Why not create us in a way that we don't sin? I don't know. I'm not God. All I know is what he reveals to us in his word. And what I know is that God knew the cost of our sin and he knew the cost that he was going to pay. He knew that cost and he still created us anyway. God chose the son from before time began and he knew the cost of the redemption that we needed. He knew the cost of creating us and he was willing to pay that cost. And I think it's important to remind ourselves of just what that is. Remember, God exists in perfect community, a perfect community of love. He has existed in the eternal state of perfect community of love. There was never a moment in this eternal perfect community of God when brokenness was felt in that relationship. There was never a moment when the normal feelings of hurt or pain existing in our relationships, there was never a moment that existed in the Trinity. Yet, and yet God chooses to experience that pain and that brokenness on the cross, on the cross. Mark chapter 15, 
page 696 in the church Bibles. Mark chapter 15, verse 34, we read of Jesus on the cross. Verse 34 says, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fullness of our broken community is carried by Jesus on the cross, and it is the agony of agonies. It is the ultimate expression of love. God uses to step into our broken community to restore us to his perfect community. And to fully grasp just how amazing that love is, we have to grasp the truth of the Trinity. We have to grasp the truth of this doctrine that is so foundational to our faith. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do if God exists in perfect community and we exist in a broken community and we acknowledge that God steps into our broken community to restore us to his perfect community? What do we do with all of that? Well, let's keep reading from that first Peter passage in eight, page 828. Starting at verse 22, we're going to keep reading. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. What do we do? We honor the love that was shown to us by a divine triune community. And we live out love. We live out lives expressing that lo same love. We live out lives as members of that community. We live out lives as grateful recipients of this powerful love from this triune community that exists in a perfect community with perfect love. We live out lives trying to express that same love to those around us. So where do you need to do that? The one person you were just thinking about that you didn't want me to mention? Yeah, that's where you should start. That's where you should start. Where do you need to come before God and ask him to hit the reset button? We all have experienced brokenness at some point in our lives. But God steps into our brokenness in order to bring about restoration. What broken relationship do you need to bring before God and ask him to hit the reset button and to bring about restoration in only the way that he can do? We are broken people sent to go out into a broken world to proclaim a message of restoration that comes from a perfect God who exists in perfect community in perfect love. Where do we need to go and step into the brokenness and ask God 
to hit reset. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your decision to love us regardless of our rejection. And the fact that that wasn't just a response, that that was a deliberate choice that you knew would happen is even more powerful. God, we have hurt others and we've been hurt by others. And there is pain there. There is real pain. So I ask you that you would bring healing to that pain, that you would step into the mess and bring about your restoration. Give us the courage, the strength, and the peace to live out lives of restoration as we experience your ultimate reset. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.